0: The call to worship is in your bulletin, and you'll see that it's a responsive reading of the 23rd Psalm. So let's stand together, if you're able, and call one another to worship as we uh, read it responsively. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Continue in worship. Let's take our Trinity hymnals and turn to number 757, To Thee O God. standing for prayer. Our Father in heaven, we do indeed render thanksgiving unto you for all your wondrous works and all the blessings you give. And we tremble at the knowledge that you are holy and just and righteous and that in due time the wrath of your righteous judgment will come upon unrepentant sinners. But oh, how we praise you with exceedingly great rejoicing because our Lord Jesus has taken that punishment upon himself in the place of those you have justified by faith in him alone, all who are trusting in him alone for salvation and forgiveness of sin. And so we ask, because of his righteousness imputed to us and by no merit of our own, that you would be pleased to meet with us as we seek to worship you as we ought. Grant that every element of this service, our praises, the reading, the preaching, the giving, the singing, would all be to your glory. Father, we acknowledge that it will only be so if you are with us. Our Father, we pray that there would be no hypocrisy among us, that there would be none of us who are like a cup or a dish washed on the outside only. Or like a whitewashed tomb with an outward appearance of beauty and cleanness, yet on the inside dead or harboring sin. May any here who are not truly in Christ turn to him this day in faith and repentance and come to know life eternal with you. Now may we be filled with the Holy Spirit and may your word accomplish your will in us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. And then turn in your Trinity hymnal to number 704, Jesus, Keep Me Near the Cross. consecutive reading today through the New Testament is Matthew chapter 23, Matthew 23 and you'll remember last week in chapter 22, Brother Ken pointed out that the Herodians and the Sadducees and the scribes and the Pharisees were questioning the Lord Jesus, trying to test him and to trap him and his answers silenced them. And then he turned it around on the Pharisees and questioned them concerning their knowledge of the scriptures, and they were unable to answer him. And thereafter, no one dared ask him any more questions. Now today in chapter 23, the Lord Jesus turns to address the crowds and his disciples, but he is not done with the scribes and Pharisees yet. They are still there in the temple court, and what they are about to hear is devastating. We mentioned earlier the woes pronounced by Habakkuk. Now here the Lord Jesus likewise does so against the scribes and the Pharisees. So Matthew 23, hear now the word of the living and true God. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, For they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels of their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues, and respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? And whoever swears by the altar that is nothing, but whoever swears by the offering on it he is obligated. You blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you, too, outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, if we had been living in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of the guilt of your fathers." You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, so that upon you may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar." Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you are unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Brother Ken.
1: This uh, morning, as we pray, we want to remember the uh, church, Christus Kirken Reformed Baptist Church in Viborg, uh, Denmark. Let us pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. This is your day. And we pray, Father, that you would help us to set aside the issues of the day and come before your throne this morning offering worship and praise. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us our sins. We pray that you would help us to repent, to truly turn from these things that continue to plague even Christians. We pray, Lord, that you would cleanse our heart this morning with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that the Holy Spirit would fill our hearts. We pray, Father, that we would remember you and all the things that you have done for us, for you have done it all. Father, we praise you, for you are holy, holy, holy. We praise you, Lord, that you are sovereign. We praise you, Father, for your almighty power we praise you for your grace and the mercy that you rain down upon us day to day. May we never forget the heavy price that was paid for redeeming us from the bondage of sin. We read that Jesus died on the cross having our sins nailed to that cross. And we 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 remember, Father, that Jesus said it is finished. And, Father, we praise you that you have done everything necessary that we might have eternal life. Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for all of the temporal blessings that you bestow upon us. We thank you, Lord, for our families, our loved ones. We thank you, Lord, for our church family. We pray, Lord, that you would keep us unified and strong and bold in proclaiming the gospel. We pray, Father, for those who cannot be with us this morning for various reasons. We pray for those who are on beds of sickness We pray, Father, for those who are traveling. We pray, Father, for Pastor Calvin, Pastor Cook, and Pastor Nichols as they preach at the Grace Reformed Baptist Church in Mabane, North Carolina. We ask that you would bless their message, Father, as it is the word of truth. We pray, Father, that many would be edified this morning in North Carolina. Father, we lift up Christus Kirken Reformed Baptist Church in Viborg, Denmark, and Pastor Eric Apingi. We are blessed to be able to bring these things before you this morning. We pray, Father, that you would bless them in their finances. We pray, Father, that you would bless uh, this family from Spain who has been uh, continuing to attend the services, and we pray, Father, that he might also be blessed with a job so that they can stay in Denmark. We pray, Father, that Pastor Eric will be able to minister to a couple from Ukraine. We pray, Father, that you would bless this little church with boldness and opportunities to evangelize. Father, this morning our hearts are heavy for those who are suffering and are grieving as a result of the shooting in Texas. We pray, Father, that you might do a mighty work there in Texas, that many would come to know Jesus Christ as they reflect upon sin and what it does. We pray, Father, that you would strengthen those who are grieving. We pray, Father, that these things would end in our society. And Father, we pray for the evil that has come upon Ukraine. We pray, Father, that you would bring this terrible war to a close. We ask, Lord, that you would soften the heart of Putin. We pray, Father, that you might that you might um, drive him to see his sin to see the evil things that, that has come from this invasion. We pray, Father, that you might even bless him with salvation. Father, we pray for the abortion issue here in America that is bubbling up again, and, and uh, the question is being put forth to the American public. Decisions have to be made. And Father, we pray for the choice of life. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be bold in our proclamation for the unborn. We remember the millions upon millions of babies that were put to death, the shedding of innocent blood. And the Bible speaks clearly on that issue. So we pray, Father, that uh, you would put an end to abortion in our land. We pray, Father, this morning for our nation. We pray for our nation's leaders. We ask, Lord, that you might grant repentance to President Biden We pray, Father, that you would forgive him of his sins and set a course in his heart that he would concur with the Bible in making decisions, that you would fill him with godly wisdom. Father, we remember those who you, by your grace, have provided to fight in battles for America over the years. We remember them, Lord, and we we pray that we never forget the blood that was shed by men as they sought to maintain the freedom that we have been gifted with. Father, we, we thank you for sending John Gaskell to us this morning and his wife. We pray, Father, that you would fill him with the Holy Spirit and that he would be bold in speaking truth as only found in your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: So now before... Brother John comes to bring the message. Let's turn in the Trinity Hymnal again to number 644. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us, number 644. And we please stand again if you're able.
2: I am grateful once again to be able to be with you this morning. It is always a a pleasure to worship uh, with God's people anywhere, but uh, having been a few times here, it is good to see familiar faces and uh, a few new ones. I want to speak this morning on something that obviously uh, your church takes seriously, the matter of prayer. And in doing so, I recall, I don't remember whether it was a sermon or a series of lessons, but I remember one of my summary remarks was that perhaps we need less teaching on prayer than, and then more praying, uh, putting into practice what we already know And so it may seem kind of odd in that light that I would want to preach on prayer, but there are a couple of specific reasons that I had in mind for wanting to do that. And as often is the case, they are as much personal as they are church-related, going through difficult days as an individual, going through difficult days as a church or even as a nation, there is nothing more important to being able to deal with the vagaries of life than to know that we serve a God who is sovereign, who hears our prayers, and who answers them always. Not just sometimes, but always. Uh, even if they are not according to our desires, they are according to his better desires and our perfect good and so I would like you to turn this morning to 1 Timothy, chapter 2. I want to be looking this morning at verses 1 through 8. We are going to be considering some of Paul's words uh, to the young minister, Timothy, helping him to try to be able to understand uh, the value of prayer and also uh, something of what is involved in it. Basically, the sermon divides into two portions, the, the nature of prayer, what is it that, that we are being asked to do, and then, just as importantly, perhaps more importantly, the God to whom we pray and why that makes such a difference for us. We begin with the nature of prayer, and in doing so, turn to those first two verses if you would allow me to read those, I am uh, using uh, an old version of the New American Standard Bible. I am uncertain uh, what what uh, version you all typically use, but if it's like most churches, there are probably 18 different ones for the people who are here. I just mentioned which one I'm reading uh, from so that uh, you won't think I'm incapable of reading English. Beginning there with the uh, first two verses, first of all then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Our Father, we ask that you would grant us those ears needed to be able to hear the truths that are spoken today. Pray that they would be your very word to us. We ask that because we know that your word never goes out vain. It is the prayer of each one here this morning that we will leave here a changed people, a people again with that direction for life set for us so that we will know what you expect of us, and by the strength of your Spirit, live out that life. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. With respect to the nature of prayer, uh, you see in that opening word uh, there, verse 1, first of all, first of all, In order to emphasize the importance, the priority of prayer in the life of a Christian, Paul starts off by reminding them that while there are troubles, there is an answer that God has given us, a direction he has given us as to how we are to confront them. Because in the first chapter, Paul had already kind of touched on some of the the difficulties that, that the church was involved in. There were some false teachers that were there in the, tr- in the church. Surprise, surprise. They are always around, always have been, and the saints continually must deal with that. How so? Well, prayer is the answer. Uh, it is also uh, apparent, as you read through that first chapter, that a part of the, the false teaching going on had to do with the law, There was an abuse of the law, a misuse, at least, of the law that led them to to think that uh, law was going to be able to do what grace and prayer couldn't do. And, uh, again, that that kind of thinking is still rather prevalent in the church today. And then also there, as he closes out that first chapter, uh, he speaks to Timothy himself about Timothy's perseverance in the faith. How do we... How do we deal with the the struggles of the church? How do we deal in our own lives with that need for not just sanctification today, but for continued growth in our Christian walk throughout our lives? How many of you here today are confident that you can do what God has asked you to do all the days of your life until you draw your last breath on earth? How many of you are confident of that? Well, I am not confident that I can do it, but I am ever confident that the God who saved me will keep me, and that prayer is a necessary part of that ongoing work that he does in our lives. It keeps us in tune with who he is in order that we may be able to do all he requires of us. Too often, when there are difficult days, hard questions that we must deal with, we turn immediately to the experts. Is my family in trouble? I want, I want a, a, a family counselor or a good book. Am I diseased? Well, the first thing that I need is a, a good doctor who understands what's going on with me. Am I, am I in trouble so that I need a lawyer? Well, boy, that's, that's the first thought on my mind. I need to call that guy and get him on my side. Too often, even those in the church turn to these other experts, so to speak, and, and when they fail them along the way, finally, in desperation, they do what Paul said they should have done in the first place. First of all, he says, prayer is to be offered. This is how we accomplish in life what is expected of us by our Lord. You'll notice there are four words that are used there of prayer in that uh, first verse. He, he uses four different prayers because there is a richness, of a variety to our prayer life that, that keeps us from falling into a rut so that we simply repeat the same words all the time. Now, there's nothing wrong with repetition of the words, not, not really, because let's face it, the things that I needed yesterday, I'm, I'm probably going to need today. I, I like to eat every day. I, I, I've come to enjoy that along the way. And to give thanks to God for our food is a rather common practice, not just among Christians, but among even those who are, well, think of themselves as Christians anyway. We, we, have, we have no problems with repetition, but there, there ought to be a, a substance to our prayers that involves more than just asking God, please make sure I I have my food on the table today or that I drive safely to church this morning. There ought to be more involved in that, and these four words, I think, give us a little bit of insight into what is expected. There are, first of all, requests or entreaties or whatever your version of Scripture may, may tell you, they are prayers that are for specific needs that are keenly felt. Uh, they, 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 they come to us, uh, again, particularly in very difficult situations of life where we must make decisions about what is going on or simply uh, we, we recognize the need in our life that only God can fulfill. We, we get a bad report from a doctor. Well, it's time to make a request. It's time to go to God in prayer and say, I need what only you can give me. Sorrow comes to us. Burdens become unbearable. Whenever we come to that point where we recognize that if good is ever going to come to me again, it is going to be God who works in me. Nothing else will do. We will be satisfied as God's people with nothing less than the blessings of God in life. And so we go and we ask that he would give us that help that is needed. The next term, prayer, is, well, as you would imagine, it is the most generic term that is used for prayer. And it just simply speaks of that reverent approach to God when, we've, when we feel drawn to him because of who he is and what he has done for us. It may be a, a simple desire to simply stand in the presence of God. Do you ever do that in prayer? It's just... I want to commune with my God, communicate my heart's desires, communicate my, my love for him. There, there is within the soul of every believer that desire simply to spend time with God, and that's what prayer is about. It is more than asking for things. It is more even than talking. It is simply enjoying The presence of the one who has granted me life, abundant life, joyous life, and life that will endure for all eternity in heaven with him. And then there is intercession or petitions that are offered. This is free and familiar prayer. It is prayer in which we draw boldly before the throne of grace because, well, because God said to That is how we come to him. We know that he will hear us, and that alone satisfies our hearts. We do not come to him and ask, and he grudgingly says, Well, you know, you asked for something yesterday. I don't know when you're going to quit asking. No, he welcomes us. He expects us to be in prayer with him, to enjoy that time that we have with him. It describes that open access to God which allows us to freely speak our hearts. You don't have to have the right words. There are no right words when you go to God. You simply express what is on your heart and your mind, and particularly on your heart and mind with respect to others, others that you know, others that you love. This is what we do. We see their need, and sometimes it is beyond our ability to be able to, to give what is needed. And we naturally go to the Lord in order that he may be able to, to fulfill the needs of their lives. And as you might expect, Thanksgiving kind of rounds things up. What what do you do when you've prayed? You've asked God for something very specific A great need in your life, and oftentimes it's a need that's right here and right now, and then it gives you what you ask for. Do you simply go, whew, I'm glad that's over with, and move on? Or do you stop and you give thanks to God because you know he's the one who answered you? He's the one who gave you your heart's desire. Thanksgiving ought to be a natural part of our lives, and I like how Paul deals with with it in the book of Philippians, Because he says that we are to pray about everything with thanksgiving. Even before you get an answer to prayer. Is it enough for you that God has heard you? Knowing that he will give you what you need most. Is that enough for you? Well, it ought to be. We can give thanks even before we see the answer to our prayers. Because we know God cares enough for us to hear and to answer the objects of prayer are spelled out for us in the very end of that first verse and the second verse, and it was really this that that drew me to this passage to preach on this morning, because we are, and I'm not really a, a preacher who pays much attention to the calendar, but you know there there are times when we do well to stop and remember Memorial Day is tomorrow. We, we, we remember those who have given their lives on in behalf of their country, in behalf of you and I, that we might enjoy the freedoms that we have in the country we live in. We live in a political environment right now where the divisions between people are so much widening that sometimes it's hard to see how the, the rift will ever be mended how are we ever going to come together again and say, these are my countrymen and I want what is best for them? Well, the, the, the question is a, a difficult uh, one to answer, but, but it did bring me to this passage because there is specifically an emphasis upon praying for the leaders of our country, those who oftentimes set the tone for what is discussed around the dinner table, what is heard over the news. We we need for those leaders to be setting the right example, making godly decisions. So Timothy, first of all, is encouraged to share the heart of his Lord and pray for everyone. <coughs> I remember growing up, reading passages like this one Uh make prayers on behalf of all men. I'm going, man, I can barely remember the names of the people in my church. What What am I going to do? This is not a prayer that says you you need to keep a running tab of everyone that you run into in life, write their name down, and make sure you pray through that list on a daily basis. That That's n- not what Paul is talking about here. Whether... The differences between us and our neighbor or us and our leaders, whether we are talking about national politics or growing up in a Southern Baptist church, denominational affiliations, or, or whether we're talking about class and race boundaries, these have no place in our prayer life. We don't go, you're kidding, you're Methodist? Well, strike his name off the list. We don't need to pray for him that that is that is not how we think as paul says for everyone for all kinds of people we are to offer up to god our prayers for their well-being but as i said there are, there are there is a specific emphasis upon those who are in authority and again the the divisions in our country are deep they are broad and It it is becoming easier and easier simply to hear a person's name and say, I don't like him. I don't need to hear what he says. I don't care what she's doing, what claims to good they may have. The fact is, I know they're bad people and I I just don't want anything to do with them. I'm going to try to block them out of my mind as best I can. That is not the Christian approach to what our our leaders in the nation are doing. We we are not to see them simply as the adversary that is intent on making our life more difficult, more uncomfortable. They are heading us down the wrong road. We, We want to view them as the enemy and nothing more, but they are to be prayed for. They are to be prayed for, and why so? Why do we pray for our mayor? Why do we pray for our congresspeople? Why do we pray for the president? Well, Paul says here, you make make petitions on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. That is why we pray for our leaders not so that they will open up the highways to 80-mile-per-hour speed limit, though I think that that's a perfectly legitimate prayer. That is not what we are talking about. We are a people who recognize that the leadership of a country can make, can make a civil peace, bring that about, so that we can live with neighbors and not worry about how they are going to uh, affect our lives adversely. This is not a prayer for comfortable and easy lives. God, please make it so that you know everything falls into place like I want it to. My retirement fund is constantly going up. I live in a safe neighborhood where uh, there, there's not a, a lot of violence going on. I, I like that kind of stuff. God, I, I would like a better job so that I can get some more things for my family, of course, not not for me. I, God, I want to be comfortable. And it seems that as we grow older, that becomes a more and more important thing to us. God doesn't say there's anything with, wrong with wanting a comfortable life. But it is an orderly society that Paul is speaking of here. It is a place where we can live godly lives and not worry if we're going to leave, lose our jobs because we're doing what is right, what God has told us to. We are not going to be outcasts because we name the name of Christ because we want to live in a place where we can spread the gospel freely. That is the kind of well ordered society that Paul says we are to pray for. It is a place where holiness, a serious, dignified life that can gain the approval of the watching world who looks at a godly man and says, you know, they are a good neighbor. They are a kind heart. They care about me and my my life. They've prayed for my wife who went into surgery. They mowed my lawn when I was sick. You see, this is the kind of thing that Paul looks forward to and says that Timothy is to pray for. And what is the motivation behind it? Well, you see that in verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. You know, some of our prayers we pray, we're not quite sure. Okay, does God really want me to have this? This kind of thing, this orderly society where people can live at peace, this is one of those things God says himself, this is good, this is acceptable, pray for this. It pleases God when our heart's desires that are expressed in our prayers, our heart's desires are the same as his. He wants that kind of peaceful, orderly society. We should want that. And it seems again today that people are intent on dividing rather than bringing people together. Well, let us do our part, which is, of course, to be a godly person, but to pray for those who are around us that they may desire the same sorts of things. Now, I said in the beginning that we wanted to look at something of the nature of prayer— I said that something just as important or more important is who hears our prayers. So who is it? Who does Paul speak of in this passage? Well, verses 4 through 6 tell us, he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born, at the proper time. First of all, the one that we pray to is one whose love is not limited by the boundaries that so often bound our lives up. I'm a part of this group and not that group and they will just never be my friend. I will never be close to them because they're that kind of person. Just stop and think for a moment. What if the holy God that we serve were like that? Do you think you would have been one of those that God said, Boy, I can't wait till they're my friend. I'm just waiting for that day when they will come and say, God, I want to be friends with you. No, he came to us when we were what? When we were enemies. When we were enemies of God is the day he showed his love to us and said, I still want you as my child. The Pharisees may have loved only those who acted like them, who were a part of that small spiritual elite that that they saw themselves as being members of. They may have thought that way, but for God, there are no peoples who are so far removed from him that he does not have a love and a compassion for them that leads him to have his people share that good news about Jesus Christ with them he cares for them he cares even for the unjust sending his rain and his sunshine to them as well as to us but his love runs deeper than that because it is it is a love that that draws him to save his people wherever they are to be found secondly when we think about praying to God we think of him as the one with the sovereign will that can never be thwarted yeah in other words our prayers don't go to one who would love to help us if he could but he just can't he's run out of money he's run out of time he's run out of patience not not the god that we serve we don't pray to one who only wants the best things for us but just doesn't have the power to to carry it out. There are several verses in the Old Testament from uh, both from Daniel and from Isaiah. Daniel chapter 4, verse uh, 35, I think it is. Yes, 435 says this. Now, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking. Remember the one who walked around the city walls of Babylon and said, look at what I've done. Look at how great I am. Well, after he played the part of a cow for a few uh, passings of the moon, I guess a few months or so, I don't know exactly how long it was, but he finally figured out, "Maybe, maybe I didn't build Babylon. Maybe it was God who appointed me to rule over Babylon. And these are some of his words when he finally came back to himself. He said, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as... Nothing. Now this was the king, remember, who had said, I did all this. He says, yeah, he counts all the inhabitants of the earth as nothing, but he does according to his will and the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? That's the God that that we pray to, whether we're praying for somebody in the middle of, of a far-off country that we don't know and who has no one to speak up for him or we're praying for the President of the United States, doesn't make any difference. God looks at him and says, you know what? They are not so big and powerful. They are not so small and inconsequential that either I can't help them or they're just not worth helping, not our God. Our God is that one who is sovereign over all. And when we, when we read in the passage that we're looking at, for uh, he, desires men, he desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I, I remember growing up hearing that verse a lot of times as, as a guy who was reformed from early days. And go ahead, how do you explain that? I don't have any particular problems explaining it. It sounds much like the prophet who said God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Is that not a description of our God? Both of them are, and I think both of them get to to the root of the same issue. When he says that he wishes all men to be saved, it is an expression of his goodness. He doesn't want any of them to be condemned, but he is also, in addition to being a good God... A sovereign God who has a purpose, who has a plan. And this is an expression of his sovereignty in that he has chosen men from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. All over the place. God didn't show favoritism by limiting the death of his son to the salvation of just those in Israel. But it spread out not only in New Testament days, but even in the Old Testament days... To people all over the world. God is also mankind's one hope for salvation. There is only one. And this, boy, if you want to get to the the heart, I think, of a lot of problems in uh, the spiritual life of people today. it, It is perhaps this. They are perfectly content to talk about God. They're happy to talk about the spiritual benefits of a life given over to serving the supreme being. It's just their God is different. is the God of Buddha or the God of Islam or on and on the list goes. They're content to, to be spiritual people. They're content even in a certain definition to be godly people. But we know... One thing very clearly, from the earliest books of the Bible, our God is one. There is no other beside him. There is no other means of being able to find salvation other than through the teachings of God provided for us in Scripture. There is not a God for the Jews, one for the Gentiles, one for the Muslims, one for the Buddhists. There is only the Christian God, the God revealed more clearly in the New Testament that there there is no other hope for mankind than that. Because there is only one means to salvation, man, man needs him. Man can never, ever, under any circumstance, any day, in any environment, no matter how good it is, earn his way to heaven can't happen. We're, we're people who are born in sin. And any of you who have been around two-year-olds recently, you recognize they're not as innocent as we sometimes think them to be. But God, having brought us into this world, has brought to his people a hope that can be found nowhere else. That's why we send missionaries out. That's why we evangelize in the communities where we live. It is because we know that whatever they believe, if it's not this God that they serve, their life is in vain. Their attempts to please God are in vain because they are not serving the one God. He is finally, as you see there in the sixth verse, the one who gave us all he had. What can God give to show, to prove his love for you? Well, it is. It is his own son. He gave his son as a ransom in exchange for our lives. Another popular idea of people who read the scriptures, kind of like some of the stuff it, it says, but don't believe it, is that Christ came and he set a good example for us. Boy, you listen to Jesus. Sermons. You look at how he acted. There's the example that you need for life. No. Yes, he is a good example. I'm not denying that. But that is not why he came. There, there's no scripture passage that says you know he's the best example you'll ever get of what a godly man is. But there is a passage, like the one that we have before us, that makes it quite clear. He gave himself as a ransom for all. He is the only mediator between God and man. There are no options. People love choices, but there are none. It's Jesus, and if you don't serve him as Lord of your life, trust in him as your Savior, again, there's no hope for you. I don't care how good the world may say that you are, Man needed something more than an example. Man needed more than somebody who simply came down from heaven to experience life in a physical form so that he could understand our situation. Needed more than that. He didn't come down simply to show men how to live. He came to give them life. And to do that, he died. He died on our behalf His life and death were a testimony to God's love that came at just the right time, Paul tells the Galatians, just the right time. None of the details of our salvation were left to chance. There is absolutely no greater evidence of God's love for us that would encourage us to continue to live for him than to know he said, you are so worth it that I gave my son for you. That That is an encouragement for the child of God that we should never grow weary of hearing. And finally, he provides for us just a little bit concerning his his plea for that life of prayer he's speaking of and and really the the attitude that we are to have in prayer, verses 7 and 8. And for this, I was appointed a preacher, and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Paul had the authority as the appointed representative of Christ to speak God's truth without error. That—that That is what we read here in Scripture, the inspired word of God and thus we know when we read Paul he's telling the truth prayer ought to be the priority in our life as to the attitudes you'll note they're very very clear all men everywhere are to respond to this word about prayer by praying whatever else it means to you whatever confidence you may gain from hearing this this, It it, it is a call, again, to prayer. We need to be a praying people. I like that Old Testament in in Deuteronomy where it speaks of the law. And it says, when when are we supposed to tell our children about the Lord? He says, well, when you get up in the morning, when you're walking along through the day, and when you go to bed at night. Whatever the in-between times are, and there are no in-betweens, Those are the times that you can take off and not pay attention to God's will and God's ways for you. All day, every day belongs to him. Remember, you've been bought with a price. You're not your own anymore. And so we give ourselves to prayer because that is what God calls us to. Two things to avoid. Don't, Don't come with anger in your heart. Again... I will confess on the social issues of the day, on the political scene as it exists now. I, I've tried to back off a little bit from reading too much of that stuff. It just well, mostly it just makes me angry, and i don't I don't need to be angry all the time. I need to take a break from that from time to time. But God says, don't come to me in prayer with anger in your heart. We, we don't approach God that way. Remember what our Lord taught us about our enemies? Pray for them. You wonder, what can I do? I'm not the president. I'm not a congressman. I'm not even a councilman in a small city. What am I supposed to do? i got news for you. You've got more authority on your side than they ever hoped to have. You can pray to the Almighty who hears you and can respond. Now, when I say we don't come with anger, I don't mean we come and say, Boy, I just love that man to death. I just, I, I wish I could invite him into my home and we could j- just enjoy some time together. Maybe a good meal, sit down, have a few laughs, and he could go home. We are to pray against the wicked plans of wicked men. But still, it ought to be a matter of concern to us that they're dying and they're going to go to hell unless their lives change, unless their heart is changed. And who can change that heart? God and God alone. And then don't come with dissensions. Dissensions that can divide God's people are to be avoided. I... Yours is a, a relatively small church. Have y'all talked among, uh, enough amongst each other to know whether you disagree about anything? Disagreements don't have to become divisions. They don't. We may disagree on, on, on a few things along the way. Now, not, not the important Christian doctrines, but we may disagree from time to time. But so long as we end up the day knowing we are brothers who care for each other and will be praying for each other, want more than anything the good for those that we are at church with, whatever the disagreements are, they will pale in comparison to the love that we show for one another. Our Lord has given us a great privilege to participate in his work. Why do some things happen? Well, the first answer of a reformed person was, will obviously be because that's God's sovereign will. But you know what? Prayer changes things. A part of God's plan includes the prayers of the saints. Remember there in the book of Revelation where the the bowl is thrown down on earth and all the plagues take place? Remember what the bowl was full of? The prayers of the saints, because what we pray does make a difference. God has given us the opportunity to participate in his great plan of salvation. When it comes to that inability we sometimes feel because we can't give to our family, our neighbors, our nation, all that we wish they, they could enjoy, we may want to throw our hands and give up and say, you know, there's, there's nothing left I can do. They are bad people, and there's nothing more to be said for them. Don't, don't forget what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. Who, are, who is the real enemy that we are dealing with? It's not flesh and blood. It is those spiritual powers at work in the world. They are the ones that we are to struggle against. For our spiritual enemies, we need the whole armor of God. And as you read down through that passage on the armor of God, where does it wind up? Well, it isn't given a name like helmet or breastpiece. It's prayer. What ties together that whole armor, it is prayer. And we can be a people of prayer. As to those flesh and blood enemies, remember what I read in Daniel? That is as true today as it was when Nebuchadnezzar first uttered those words. God does according to his will among the inhabitants of the earth, and there is none who can stay his hand. Pray to the one who can change things. Pray to the one who can take the most hard-hearted of political leaders or your neighbor who is just a pain in the neck, God, God can change people. He changed you, didn't he? And I have no doubt that you were at least as hard as I was to be changed, and yet God did it in my life and in yours. Let us give thanks that we have prayer. We have access to the God who is still, still King of Kings, And Lord of Lords, let us bow and pray to Him. Our Father, we are grateful. We are grateful that we have a God who not only hears our prayers, not only is concerned about the things that vex us most, but you have the power to change the world. You spoke and it came into existence. And you can still speak today and change this world. Let us be a part of that by being followers of Christ and by taking advantage of our privilege of prayer. We ask in his name. Amen.
0: Thank you, Brother John, for that admonition and encouragement. And in keeping with that message, let's conclude the service by turning to number 531 in the Trinity hymnal. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. Number 531. And let's stand as we... and we'll be meeting back here at 1.45 for the afternoon service and Brother John will be bringing the message then too. You are dismissed.